second letter, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and way beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they gently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had early made the beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestly, earnestness and, the love of the, and in the love we had kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now, finish the work, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to what, has, what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved when you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one that gathers much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you would speak to each one of us now and speak to us all together, that we might know what you are calling us to and that we might please you that we might respond to your amazing generosity in sending Jesus by giving more of ourselves to you. We ask this in his precious name and for his sake. Amen. It felt like a hospital pass or a, a, a tricky one when I was asked to do this giving slot. What I'm going to do is largely look at this passage in 2 Corinthians and pull out some principles from there uh, about our giving and then Tom coming on later is going to give us some of the practical uh, ins and outs of our giving as a church firstly a story though just to lower the tone as we sometimes do 
two men were marooned on a desert island. One of them was agitated and fearful. He couldn't settle. The other one simply relaxed in the sun, drinking his pinot colada. The first one said to the second one, aren't you afraid that you're about to die? No, replied the second one. I make £10,000 a month and give faithfully to my church each week. My vicar will find me. And if he doesn't come to rescue me, my church treasurer certainly will. I pinched that from somewhere. I added the bit about the church treasury, and I apologize for that. So some overall principles. Um, we're often, aren't we, full of very good intentions. Uh, I can speak for Barbara and me as well about this. Um, sometimes we're almost faultless in what we would like to do and plan to do and intend to do. We're not actually always so good at, at doing it. And actually, whenever this topic comes up, I think most of our responses are something like this oh no, not giving again. It's, it's not perhaps our favourite topic. It's kind of where guilt can creep in and we feel we're being nagged at and, you know, here we go again. And so we can all go to sleep, but I hope I'll keep you awake just for a few more minutes. Um, it's really important that we do pay heed to what we can learn from this chapter uh, in Paul's second letter in one year to the Corinthians. It's an interesting uh, bit of teaching from Paul. It normally is when he's dealing with the Corinthians. They were a church full of the gifts of the Spirit, full of enthusiasm. They were even pretty good givers. And Paul's message today is largely finish the task, complete what you intended to give. And of course, we've got to acknowledge early on that this is a tough time, probably for all of us. We're probably all struggling about heating homes uh, the food we need uh, to eat properly, look after children and so on. We are all feeling the pinch and perhaps beginning to realise that this country is actually becoming poorer almost by the year. And it's not going to get better in the immediate future, it seems. So can we still keep being generous, please the Lord, and yet still cope? From time to time... Whatever the situation in our lives, whatever's going on out there, we do need to be challenged about our generosity back to God and our generosity to each other. As Tom said earlier, uh, Jesus was never slow to talk about money, but he never made an appeal, as far as we know, uh, for money for himself. The Bible speaks about money, not just giving, some 2,300 times. I didn't count them all, but theologians have been there first. They have. Eleven of Jesus' 19 parables and some 15%, 15, not 50, of all his teachings are actually about money. So this is an area of our lives and of our church life together which we need to give due care and attention to. It's important. If we are to follow Jesus as we ought we need to be in the right place when it comes to our generosity in all respects and in our giving when it comes to money. And this is about our attitudes, not about our resources. Um, think of the widow's mite, 
and that gives us the right idea. We give according to what we can give in the light of what God is asking of us. And the whole point of this talk really is to put over one thing, which is, and I just realised this sitting uh, in my seat a few minutes ago, it all begins and it ends with God. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave us his only son that we might be saved. And so what we're about today is just making sure in our lives that we are pleasing the Lord Jesus, that we are giving back to him something of what we should be giving in the light of that cross and what he gave for us, which was everything he had. Before we get into the verses, I'm going to largely home in on two verses, just a little bit of context. This letter to the Corinthians in Corinth uh, was written about uh, 56, 55, 56 AD. Paul had first been there and set up the church in Corinth in uh, 50 AD. Corinth was a young town. It had been rebuilt as a Roman colony in 44 BC. So it was pretty young. It had flourished and become the administrative center, the capital of the Roman province of Achaia. That's probably right, but I'm not sure of the pronunciation. But basically, that was the southern part of mainland Greece. So if you've got an image of Greece in your head, it's the southern part. The northern part was called Macedonia, which is still a word quite often in use today. In chapter 8, Paul is writing about the collection that he and fellow apostles are seeing to in order to support the very hard-pressed, persecuted and really struggling Christians in Judea, in the Holy Land. They were going through a rough time of persecution. They'd had famines throughout the reign of Claudius, 41 AD to 54. Just notice how close that is to the life and the death of Jesus. This is history, but it's not distant history where things can get garbled. This is actually very much the real world as it was then. The largely Gentile church in the north of Greece, in Antioch, Syria as well, had also been seeking support from the churches in uh, Galatia to go to Judea. And the churches in Macedonia and in Galatia have been uh, very generous so far. The Corinthian Christians, about a year before Paul's letter, had heard about all this giving to support their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem and the southern part of Israel. And in, in uh, Corinth, they had responded well. They said, how can we help? We would love to give too. And they'd given something, but they hadn't completed their collection. And that's where this letter comes in. And what Paul is doing here is giving the example of the Macedonian Christians in the north uh, of Greece, the northern province, to encourage the Corinthians to follow suit, to get on with it, to finish their collection, to follow up on all their good intentions. Now, Macedonia, interestingly, involved uh, Philippi. It included Philippi, Thessaloniki, and Beria. So these are places where you know, other letters were going to come later on. They were poor. They were not wealthy 
uh, people at all up there in the north of Greece. The Romans had plundered most of their wealth. They had conquered completely what was the homeland of Alexander the Great. But verses 2 to 5, if we just have a look at them now on the screen, hopefully, they show us just how these Macedonians had responded to the need uh, of their brethren, their sisters in Jerusalem and the surrounding area. They, in their poverty, had been generous. They gave what they could and perhaps even more. They were a really good example. But why? Because they had overflowing joy in giving. This begins with God changing people's hearts. People acknowledging the generosity of God the Father. And finding it a joy to give. To give generously. So in their poverty, they set quite a challenging example to the church in Corinth. And Paul was pretty good at pushing the church in Corinth. They, they were a, a funny lot. They were quite unruly. And Paul had a mixed relationship with them. And he wasn't slow to really push them on, to not just be great at some things, in their knowledge, in their speech, in their faith. He's now saying to them, you have to do just that bit more in terms of generosity. And this is the first bit I want to really home in on. And it's verse 7. If we could go to verse 7. And Paul is really, he's buttered them up saying, he's buttering them up here saying, you know, you're really good at some things. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, complete earnestness, and in your love for us, the apostles, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. And it's this expression I'd never really noticed before that I just want to home in on a little bit now. Excel, abound in this grace of giving. Giving is a grace. You could almost say it's a bit like the fruit of the Spirit. But it all begins with God's grace in the way he changes our hearts. And he gives us overflowing joy as we give generously. The Greek word for uh, grace used here by Paul is charis. Get charismatic, charisma from it. It is a grace. It's used eight times, this word charis, in chapters 8 and 9. And five in chapter 8, verses 1 to 9. So this link between giving, generosity and grace is really fundamental. It's about God's grace kicking things off, completing things through Jesus. And then it's through him in our lives, repeating that graciousness, that loving kindness, that goodwill. And in particular, reflecting God's merciful grace. That's what it's about. And charis, this word grace, as you might imagine, knowing Paul as we do, occurs 122 times in the New Testament. Perhaps we sometimes don't think enough about what grace means, not thinking of it just from God to us, but in us, allowing that grace to flow through our lives too. The commentator David Gusick said this, the ability to give... And the heart to give is a free gift from God 
It comes from him. When you see a believer who is truly generous, a great work of God has been done in their heart. The great Northumbrian Christian author, who Barbara and I had the privilege of hearing many years ago, uh, said this about the grace of giving. Listen carefully. This is lovely. Takes all that stuff about guilt and, oh, no, not, not giving again. Takes it away and shows what a lovely thing it is, what a blessing it is. He said this. Once you see that the matter of giving is centred on this lovely word grace, it lifts the whole act away from mechanics, from pressure and duty, from obligation and mere legalism. It lifts us up into the most lovely atmosphere of an activity which seeks by giving to convey to others all that is lovely, all that is beautiful, all that is good, and all that is glorious. Giving should be like that. It shouldn't be, oh dear, I've got to do this again, or what about that? It's actually a lovely part of being within God's grace and responding to it. So this uh, grace begins and ends with God. The grace of generous giving also begins and ends with God. And of course, it's been demonstrated even better than the Macedonians, but demonstrated to perfection in the coming of Jesus and in him giving his life uh, for us all for undeserving sinners like us. That is the grace of God in action. Verse 9, we come to Jesus himself. Paul moves on from talking about the church in Macedonia and talking about Jesus. Verse 9. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, he was in heaven, the Son of God, co-creator of the universe, He was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Just coming into the world, the Son of God becoming a baby, a helpless baby in that stable, and then 30 years or so as a carpenter, three years, this intense ministry. He gave up all that glory and wonderful uh, being with the father in heaven and he experienced the very worst uh, of what this world can bring poverty uh, being a refugee in Egypt and so on and then ultimately he gave his life for your sakes for our sakes he became poor so that through his poverty we might become rich So this is what St. Paul is getting across. It is great to remember in our communion services, alternate Sundays, all that Jesus gave for us. And I think most of us really find that moving and important, that we should remember his generosity regularly. Without him in our lives as our Lord, we have no peace and we have no hope. But he's given us all that because he was obedient even unto death that gives us purpose and it gives us a reason for living without Jesus and what he gave up 
and what he gave for us, we would just be muddling through life until it ends. And that would be it. With Jesus and through him alone, we have everything that we need forever. That is true, amazing, divine generosity. Now this should, of course, provide us with all the motivation we need to give our lives to him, to live them for him, and to actually be generous in the way we live our lives, not just in terms of giving money, but in terms of the way we treat each other, the way we treat others. Are we generous? I look at my parents and I think I'm nothing like as generous and kind as they were. They were a real huge example to me. My mother still is. And we are called not just to be good at giving, but the word Paul uses is excel. And so the challenge this morning is, are we excelling in the grace of giving? Or are we something else? Are we mediocre? Are we average? Are we poor? Each one of us can answer that. And as a church, we can respond as we see fit. I'm going to pose now, in concluding, seven questions to challenge us the home group leaders are going to get this this afternoon so you can follow up this in any way uh, you like as home groups but seven questions based on this chapter do we excel abound in the giving of our time our love our lives and our wealth to God's work that's the first one the second one and we've got to be honest with God here about all of this How sincere is our love for Jesus? Paul said to the Corinthians, this is about our sincerity, the the absolute uh, reality of our love for Jesus. How sincere is our love for Jesus, our love for each other and for those in need as measured by our actual giving? Third question, are we emulating the grace of Jesus who became poor for our sakes, so that we might become rich in God's grace and his blessings. That's what he wants. Fourthly, do we want to bless others by giving generously from our riches? Fifth question, are we committed to making our generous intentions a reality in line with what we are able to give? The sixth one, are we asking God to show us exactly what he expects of us and from us in this whole area of giving? The sixth question, I'm losing my uh, numbering here. doesn't matter, it's probably seven now. Are we content to trust that God will always provide for us fairly? The last few verses, which I've rather neglected, show that this is about giving within our means, within what is possible. And when some of us are better off than others, you know, getting to an equality, a fair play in the way we give and in the way we receive. God doesn't want part of his church to be hugely uh, uh, full of riches with all the gold and paraphernalia and other churches to have Christians living in poverty. That's not what he wants. And he also wants us to give beyond the church obviously so there you are that is not easy we need to come back to this and think about what our answers might be to these big questions and these challenges
So perhaps just as an initial response, let's just be quiet for a few moments and let the Lord speak to us about our excellence or otherwise in the grace of giving. Let's just give him time to speak to us. Uh, Barbara found this for me. It's uh, a section from a book by Alistair Begg, who's a superb Scottish uh, preacher, minister now in America. Uh, It was from a thought for the day uh, thing, a daily reading. It's called A Pleasing Sacrifice. I'm just going to read out the last bit of this from Alistair Begg. I think it's really helpful. We are not by nature sacrificial givers, but the whole Christian journey is receiving and in giving, in caring and in sharing, is filled with grace from start to finish. When we give sacrificially from a heart that desires to please God, he promises to supply every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. That's from Philippians 4. It is reflecting on all that God has given and all that God is giving and all that God will give that unlocks our hearts and enables us to give both sacrificially and joyfully. And when we do so, we bring God pleasure. Amen.